Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Television. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about TV for the first time, uh, but I hope not the last time. I watch a lot of TV. I like a lot of TV. I want to talk about a lot of TV, but this week we are jumping on that Stranger Things bandwagon. And we will be talking about, obviously, uh, Stranger Things because, uh, you know, it... it uh, it aligns very neatly with our with our interests, giving that a core piece, a core plot point of, uh, well, it's not really a plot point; it's more of like an ongoing metaphor of the uh, of the TV show is a you know nineteen eighties Dungeons and Dragons game. Um, but uh, before, before we, get into we that, do that, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast, buddy? Since you didn't let me do my thing. Oh right, yeah, I forgot. It. Well, I, you know, whatever, man. We're t- we're doing TV this week, right? So that's I explained it without you having to prompt me. But we like doing... to we like to switch it up. Forty two episodes in, you know, keep you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, forty. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, this week. Um, marks the advent of something new and not very exciting, but instead of labeling the, like, instead of labeling the TV and movie episodes separately, I'm just going to start labeling them as episode X. Um, so this one will be 42 instead of television one and all the future movie episodes will be episodes Y and Z and have movies in the parenthetical instead of, uh, instead of tabletop or games. We normally talk about games on this podcast, so I know we're not doing games for two weeks in a row. But we are going to talk about some games right now because it's our weeks, buddy. What games did you play this week? <laughs> uh, well, World of Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft, and a little bit more World of Warcraft. Um, the, I don't know. The, these invasions have been going on, and it's so easy to level, and it's very rewarding to level. And I'm just really in a Warcraft mood, and it lets me do things, and I love it, and the you know role playing with people on the server has been great and is pretty great right now. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm just I'm diving headfirst into that uh, into that into that bad boy. Uh, what have you been playing, um, my good friend? So um, I I should really get on that role play. I really would like to try it, but I've just been too busy like farming Apexis crystals or some bullshit. Um, but I have also been playing a lot of WoW. Um, I have dipped my toes in some other things. I have played. Um, actually, one of the things I did this week was listen to the new episode of, uh, The Unwise Index, um, which is finally back after a Oof, long, a long listened, hiatus. I haven't listened to that. I actually kind of forgot. I, they, they told me, you know, Monik told me, but, uh, I never actually got around to, uh, uh, I never got around to listening to it. Uh, but one of the things he talks about a lot on that podcast is, uh, No Man's Sky, which... Um, if you guys remember from last episode, I couldn't get to run on my computer. The next day, Sean Murray decided to let me play his game, um, so I did. Um, and Monik absolutely loves the game, um, and I don't. I think it's, I don't think it's bad. I'm, I'm going to steal a line, a couple of different lines from a bunch of different places, but um, the one that really works well, I think, is uh, wide as an ocean, deep as a puddle. Um, and then the line from the co-optional podcast, I think, was as as Crendor put it, um, was this is a this is a great twenty five dollar early access title, um, and it, you know with, with the the point being that it's not sixty dollar full release title, um, and I think you could actually see a lot of the problems that are brought up in that that Reddit post we talked about last week, mm-hmm. which which uh, subsequently got deleted. That's actually an interesting story in itself. 
Um, the guy who made the post was like, I just wanted to show people that like we didn't whip ourselves into a frenzy. Like there was a lot that that Hello Games did to to make us believe that this was going to be the case. Um, and this isn't just like rabid fanboyism, mm -hmm. but he also likes the game and didn't like it. Got turned into like you know. Like, like one man's lie and Sean, Mur Sean Murray is bad. And I, you know, I actually, I totally agree with you because I went back, uh, maybe two or three days later, uh, somebody had mentioned that it had been edited and I went back and I read the edited version or like, there, you know, like there were a bunch of edits at the bottom that were kind of explaining things. And that full picture was much better than the kind of, uh, the immediate thing that you saw before any of the edits was to be honest, like. It almost inflammatory, right? It felt it came off very entitled, right? It came off as a whole bunch of different ways. When you actually dug into some of the things that he was quoting, uh, I felt a lot of them were taken out of context, or they were misquotes or misunderstandings, um, kind of thing. But with the full context, where you know everything does get explained, I think does a good job of um, making that case, right? Uh, I have seen I have seen Sean Murray compared to uh, Peter Molyneux. <laughs> Of of all gaming of all gaming industry people and I think that that is fairly apt because I think oh yes. that this problem is very much a Peter Molyneux problem uh, as well um, and to a certain extent you know like I I'm very sympathetic to to uh, to companies like Riot or companies like Blizzard is also a lot like this who very very carefully hedge their language and they say look we want to communicate but understand all of this stuff is under development and can change right and I and I hate when those kinds of companies get attacked along these lines right like those kind of devs um, because I think that they you know if you are paying attention they do a very good job of making sure you understand that like a lot of stuff changes at the last second in depth. Um, but, uh, uh, I think guys like Sean Murray and Peter Molyneux really just kind of, you know, they, they are really stretching that wire thin, uh, when it comes to the amount of goodwill we should, you know, as gamers afford them. Yeah. I, I think, I think a lot of it is just like Sean Murray, like not, not like, you know, caveating any of the things he said. Like he said a lot of things like somebody would ask him if you can do this and he would say, Yes, not like probably or we would like to do that. He said, yes, you can do this. Um, I think part of that, too, is that um, if you look at some of the, the builds, like like uh, three or four months prior to launch, it seemed like they were in the game. And so I think he fully anticipated those features being in on release. But I think, I think this game needed to be delayed by like another year or like go into early access and be like a $25 early access game. Um and then you would have had all of these features that are that I that look like they're like somewhere between twenty five and seventy five percent implemented each of some of the builds that they advertised. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that they were pressured by Sony to just get it out the door because they already delayed it once. Um or, you know, just pressured by like the by, you know, release pressure. Um and they have said they're gonna keep supporting the game. And so if they do keep supporting the game, I think this game will be good in about a year. Um uh, or, you know, hopefully maybe less than that. But, like, a lot of the problem with this game is there's not a lot to do. Like, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think that it's it's weird because it's, it's a survival game. Like, the space combat isn't really much to talk about. Like, it's not really a space simulation. Um, and it's weird because it's, 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 it's like a directed survival game, right? Like, there is, like, an end goal, which has reached the center of the universe. Um, and because of that, you're kind of encouraged to keep moving, 
And so that makes like a lot of the kind of the hallmarks of the more successful survival games like Terraria and Minecraft um, kind of irrelevant or like it kind of uh, obviates the like some of the cool stuff about that is like gathering resources and building cool things like your house or emplacements. But when you're always moving away, you, you, those those buildings are never going to be you know permanent. And so I think they lose a lot of meaning um, in that way. I mean, even even like uh, Fallout 4 has like, um, you know, these kind of city building mechanics. But you can always go back to these cities, those cities. But you're never going back to a planet in No Man's Sky. You're always just kind of marching forward. And the, sh the ship, the ships are all kind of like prefabbed and they don't have enough like expansion ability, like enough like upgrades, I think, to really keep it, keep the game um interesting and like the planets so granted i didn't play a ton of time in the game but like a lot of the planet the planets i visited were all very similar and like even when the from what i've read even when they aren't similar they're they're a lot of the same stuff like you know like there's always carbon there's always like, the uh, i base need a elements. second so you can cut this part from my side but one second okay Hello, folks. We're back after a brief delay. Um, so as I was saying, No Man's Sky is just, just it, it, at the end of the day, it's just really not fun. There's not enough diversity. There's not enough to build towards. It's very, very pretty, but I think like 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 a lot of things or, or a lot of games of this scale, they had to you know, choose some things over other things, and I think they chose prettiness over. A completeness of experience, at least within the time frame that they were afforded, um, and uh, I, just to kind of push push that a little bit further, um, I also played some Starbound, uh, not a ton of it, and it's it's a, it's essentially a sequel to Terraria, um, but it's in space, and that game is a lot of fun, and is I think everything that kind of like like I think No Man's Sky wants to be a 3D Terraria, but isn't quite there. Um, and I just, I don't know. I really hope No Man's Sky gets better, but I, I, I can't recommend it at this point in time. Um, you know, I have to say that when it comes to uh, No Man's Sky, I told you so. World, internet, right? You know, like I've been, I've been down on the hype this entire time, and it, it is like, you know, I, I don't like being vindicated about this kind of stuff, but I do kind of, you know, it, it does feel good to effectively have been right. The thing about No Man's Sky, when it comes to me, uh, is that it really sounds as though there's not much of a, um, like it's easy to sell me on the future of a game if you can present me with like a solid core, right? This is like Total War Warhammer, right? Total War Warhammer is a solid core of a game. I put 90 hours into the base space version of that game and I'm going to be coming back to it. I'm going to be coming back to it a lot, I'm sure, right? And I'm going to be, you know, I haven't bought it yet, but the Beastman DLC is out. They just really, or they just talked about some new DLC that's going to uh, include more units, including the coolest unit in the game, the fucking Mortis engine which is this like crazy chariot driven by the souls of like necromancers and liches it's awesome anyway um uh you know new legendary lords and that kind of thing and 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 i know that as uh the time will go on total war warhammer will be you know total war warhammer will be fleshed out into a great game it didn't start that way but it's going to get there right um and it it can you can really sell me on that on that future i don't hear that 
when I hear people talking about No Man's Sky. And honestly, I didn't even hear that when I was first reading about it the first time. Uh, because it seemed as though all of these big selling points to the game were very much wide, you know, wide, wide ocean, deep puddle problems, right? Where it's like, you know, if procedurally generated kind of these random worlds is going to be like this selling point. Well, it's not like the selling point that comes from Terraria or that comes from Minecraft, where a lot of it is just, you know, about like building and self-expression almost, if, if that makes sense. I think it does, and I, I think part of it too is that it it kind of missed the mark on, on on another potential interpretation of what people wanted to be, which is kind of like this chill out, relaxed game. And like I could see, like you know, I like me some Journey. I like um, you know these kind of like weird alternate experiences that aren't you know you can argue about whether we call them games or not. I don't particularly care about that argument. Um, but like you know, if if this game was like a you land on a planet and you stroll and you can name the things you find and that's what all you did i think i'd be more on board for this game but like you kind of start to do that and then your meter says warning warning you're at 75 percent hazard suit it's like oh i gotta go find some fucking hazard suit stuff to shove in my hazard suit bin so that i i, I can keep walking um and you know stuff like the and like and the variation actually in like the individual planets isn't that big, right? Like Minecraft, if I walk for a little while, I'll probably switch biomes and get to something neat and different. Every planet is pretty much like you like uniform um in No Man's Sky, which is like you just don't get the same kind of like variety and like wonder of exploration, I guess. Um as as you do in uh as you do in, in in like Minecraft or or Terraria even um so i i think i think that's a that's that's another big part of the feeling like you you have to do a lot of things that aren't just kind of like digital tourism of a procedurally generated galaxy um yeah i i don't really know that you could ever sell me that a procedurally generated galaxy is going to make that experience possible I, you know, I think it's very telling that all of the GIFs uh, and all of the, you know, like, images and all of the GIF sounds that come out of it were all funny. And they were all making fun of where the procedural generation kind of was off and fucked everything up. Right. right. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I have a tough time. I, just, I don't know. I, I just, I just. I just have a tough time with it. No, no, no. That's that's, that's, that's definitely that's definitely fair. I think there's there's uh so, some one of the big points that's come out of this from a lot of different people is that you know procedural generation isn't you know the greatest thing of all time. Handcrafted experiences are very valuable, and that's how you get a lot of some of the deeper experiences that's, you have in oh, gaming. Oh man, that's exactly that's exactly it. And also, I think that you know the game that you're talking about, the journey. Right? That game is built on its immersion, right? This is also a lot of what I think is so great about Skyrim, right? And this is why I always come back and talk about Skyrim all the time. I think that game is wonderfully immersive and in, in precisely the way that you're, you know, kind of describing, right? The journey from, right, uh, uh, not Helgen, what's the, whatever the first, uh, it's like Riverwood or whatever, up to Whiterun, um, you know, that that is a very 
you know, it's a serene thing, right? Like, I think that I think that you can totally. I mean, yeah, sure. Sometimes a dragon pops out of fucking nowhere, and you have to fight it. And I think that that's also kind of part of the game, and and it manages its own kind of emotional whiplash really well. But there are definitely times when you know you you wake up at your house or whatever, um, and uh, and you can just kind of like look out and be like, wow, this is a beautiful game. This is a beautiful place. Right, and I think that that's not something that you can, you know, procedural generation doesn't lend itself to that, um, because as soon as something is off and weird, which is very easy when you have a ton of, you know, when you have a ton of random things kind of colliding, it's very easy to get a Tyrannosaurus, right, like flapping around on hummingbird wings. It's just ridiculous, and it's gonna pull you out of that immersion every single time. Mm -hmm. Okay, huh? As in, like that—that that is not one of the examples I would have. Jump to because, um, frankly, um, one of the strong points of No Man's Sky is that, like, the planetscapes are actually really pretty, right? Like, you know, you wake up and you just kind of see this red planet in front of you and you see this weird alien vegetation growing. And most of that is fine. Most of that's really actually pretty good. Like, the, like, and, and, and there, there's a couple of moments in, in No Man's Sky that are actually really nice. Like, you know, texture popping aside, but, like, landing on a planet is actually kind of a cool experience. But I, I do see what you say, right? Like that when when you find the seams, that those seams will pull you out. Um, but I think that is something that can eventually be fixed with with enough iteration on the uh, on the algorithms, as it were. Um, but yeah, that's I think that's all I really had to say about No Man's Sky. Fair enough. Uh, um, we definitely did play some... Uh, we definitely did play some D&D over the last week. Uh, we we played both Rune Lords and Hell's Rebels, and because this is my podcast and I can do what I want, we're going to start with Hell's Rebels. Okay, so I introduced a mechanic last week in Hell's Rebels that I just kind of came up with um, at some point. It's not really a mechanic. It's just like an RPG thing, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, there was a moment in the game, uh, for people that may, may not have tuned into the, to the uh, uh, stream, there's a moment in the game where two characters, right, like two enemy NPCs were talking to one another, kind of about stuff, um, and the PCs had the option of getting close enough such that they could get the perception check to overhear their conversation, and uh, and what I did, the way I did that is I wrote out the script of what these two people were saying to one another, handed out you know, that to two players and had them and had them read the lines. How did you, how did you, think? I thought it was a lot of fun. I actually really liked it. I thought it was a cool way to get people, you know, to keep people involved. I thought it was a kind of good way to vary some things up. Um, and you know, like, you know, I, I don't expect you to, to do this, but like, like so long as it keeps, as there are volunteers that want to do it, like I wouldn't force somebody to do it if they didn't want to do it. Oh boy. Um, what, what's up? <laughs> I was just thinking about forcing people to do it in the future. It has, uh, it, it has kind of opened a, it has kind of like opened a, uh, like a padlock in my mind that's been, that has kept a lot of stuff. Um, because, you know, so, so D&D doesn't lend itself to this. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in the context of Stranger Things, right? But, um, because D&D is effectively a first person 
like view story the entire way through um it doesn't lend itself to having two npcs talking to one another especially because typically npcs are voiced by the gm right and so having two npcs talk to one another is a very weird thing because you have the gm going hey how are you fine what's up no i'm doing pretty good oh, okay have you seen rick right like you that that's a weird thing yeah. to listen oh, to yeah, and i think it's incredibly unengaging right um and this really answers that problem well um and so and and so you know what happens is a lot of the time the storytelling in D has the gm uh and the gm is playing one npc and then bouncing in and out with with the kinds of players right um honestly i think we've done a pretty good job in hell's rebels because a lot of the time we kind of have these cabinet meetings right when the whole silver council is meeting and i can just give two cents based on different characters but you guys know who they are and they're yeah. relatively consistent such that it's not a weird thing for me to say oh well taylor thinks this and mateo thinks that and they're completely different things right but like because the whole con most of the conversation is happening between the pcs that's not as yeah intrusive, yo, absolutely I think. Oh man, I don't know. It feels so good. It feels so good that that was. I. Was, it was such a. Uh, it was such a great fix to a problem that I've had for like forever. I, when it comes to T and D games, I also think it's got a lot of potential for some cool things. Like you know, let's say some character, for instance, is talking about, um, let's say how they executed Maragrug's halfling friend. That that's right. Maragrug's friend, right? Yeah. Like you could have Warren read that piece of text. And like it's it's you know you, you kind of get like the same like like liter literary shock because it's coming like he's reading it to you know to himself essentially I I think that'd be a, a cool type of thing to do yeah yep I'm totally uh, I'm I'm with you yeah yeah I uh, I plan on utilizing this uh, to. Uh... It's actually the wrong word, the, the wrong way to use the verb utilize. Uh, I do plan on using this to uh, to kind of open up uh, certain aspects of, of kind of the RP uh, and answer some of like my own questions that I know I want to like, I know I want to give you guys this information, but I have a hard time figuring out how to do it sometimes. And this is a pretty good way. Um, you know, this is a pretty good way to deliver it. The, the one problem, I think, uh, which sucks, is that it, it can't be spontaneous, right? It's yeah. not like, you know, like, you know, if, uh, let's say, Alaric hits level five or whatever, and he takes Scry, and the first thing he does is Scry on, you know, uh, on Bars of Light Rune. I can't just, like, I can't, I can't do that, right? It's one of those things you kind of, you really do have to prep for. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was uh, I was very proud of that. Otherwise, uh, the session itself was fairly straightforward. Um, Alaric got his bonus feat, um, and a little bit of lore uh, when it comes to kind of what happened to Gondor uh, in the Plane of Dreams and the Dreamweaver. And then uh, on top of that, uh, you guys you know had that fight and uh, stole Todrick's body. How did you think about what did, what did you think about the rest of the uh, the session? I th I thought it was fine. Um, <clears throat> I enjoyed the opportunity to use my my new um, my new feet. I thought that was fun. Um, I have some ideas for things that I will talk to you about later for uh, uses of that feet that I think could be neat, but uh, we won't get into that now. Um, and uh, I like I thought that the the fight played out well. I thought the chain kineticist was a really cool idea. Um, uh, I think you also, 
One thing, it, by, by way of constructive criticism, is I think the first time you slipped and said bearded devil, um, you should have been like, you know, this devil has a beard, almost as if it was some sort of bearded devil, and just giving <laughs> us no details as to what that was. Instead of calling it a bearded devil, be like, but you don't know that every time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, this is, that's one of the problems I have with using pre-gen monsters, because I'm building them and, you know, I, I'm at inputting all of their stuff into... Uh, into roll 20 and so i'm thinking of it as the bearded devil constantly and so right. whenever i need to passively you know like just like in passing refer to it i refer to it as a bearded devil and now you guys you know because it's a fairly famous uh it's not the most famous monster but it's like fairly famous kind yeah. of thing uh, whereas when i say shroud devil because i completely made up those mechanics that doesn't actually translate to you know someone going to the SRD and looking up the stat line or whatever. Yeah, I, I also don't think for this group that's as much of a problem. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know the Bearded Devil specifics off the top of my head. Still don't because I didn't go and look it up. But, um, like, the most you get out of that is, like, you know, people who know what the devil abilities are. But I also don't think that's, like, we fought a lot of devils. The fact that it's probably a devil is probably obvious. And yeah. so, like, assuming that it has that, like, those sets of, of DRs isn't really a problem, I don't think. Um, you know, like it, it's like kind of that problem that like, you, you know, you, you, you can argue about for a while. It's like, you know, a dragon flies overhead. A dragon's like a CR 16 monster. Like being able to know things about that is like a DC. Like I want to say like 20, 30 something check, mm -hmm. but like the peasant knows it's a dragon, even though it never makes that check. Right. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't know like the exact number, you know, it might've heard that dragons are resistant to fire, but it also might've heard that, you know, dragons can summon thunderstorms, which isn't true unless, you know, they have the spell or whatever, but that's, that's, you know, a different story. Um, and like, you can, I think you can do like, you know, like, I think I've heard of this bearded devil thing and like give away the name, um, without it being too much of a problem. So long as you can trust your players to not be like, Hey, time to go to the SRD. Hey. Yeah, uh, that's fairly fair. Yeah. Also, at the same time, uh, a lot of the time, I, I fuck with pre-gen. Uh, I fuck with pre-gen monsters anyway. Um, so that's not really the most. Uh, for, I mean, to, no, to I mean, like, segue supernaturally. Uh, the same thing kind of happened when it came to the Wendigo that we fought this week in Rune Lords, which I actually think was a great session of Rune Lords. And oh, it, yeah. I, it almost kind of sucks because I kind of had to get pulled out of it for uh, a kind of like nondescript amount of time because uh, Rachel came home and needed my help with something. But it was a really, so it was like a really solid kind of core session. But the problem was I knew, I know what a Wendigo is because I had just like, just looked up its stats. Not maybe like three or four weeks ago, uh, like right before Gen Con, I had just looked at its stats. Is that a spoiler like, oh. for Hell's Rebels? No, no, okay. it's not. I was just uh, uh, something I've been doing as I am uh, getting more and more liberal with my creation of monsters is reading up uh, just on different mo to get. So I have a better sense on what CRs, what uh, kind of abilities certain monsters have, uh, because I do like. Uh, uh, I want to make sure that the kinds of abilities I put in aren't like too high or too low, and so I'll pick and choose. And you know, the Wendigo just happened to be a relatively high CR monster. That I was like, oh, I want to make sure, you know, I want to make sure that th it's not as powerful as this thing. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, but uh, to uh, Mark's credit, uh, he swapped up a good number of the mechanics so that I wasn't able to just know. Uh, I wasn't able to just know things, right? Like, but but. but 
despite myself, I, I might say. Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of on, on, on that, like, mark of, like, you know, everybody swaps things up a little bit. I don't think in a... In a I, at our worst times, has anybody ever been like, oh, well, the, the Monster Manual says it only has 200 HP and we did 300 damage to it. Like, like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen players do that in our games. In our, like, like, <laughs> with, 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 like, HP numbers, really? Uh, I, I guess not with HP numbers, but I've seen people do that with, uh, uh, ACs and stuff like that. Uh, I don't okay. want to call anyone out on the cast, but no, 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 no absolutely, uh, absolutely. I honestly have a little bit of a hard time when it comes to that stuff. Part of me thinks that, like, like deducing the AC of a monster as as a fight progresses is valuable and cool, right? And I think it's it's a very rewarding thing for a player that also has the side effect of speeding up the combat. Uh, but I also think on like the flip side of it. Um, it gets players into a mode where they're thinking about a monster as a stat block rather than as a, you know, this imaginary thing that's attacking your imaginary characters and it pulls them out of the game. So I, I am decidedly mixed uh, when it comes to the yeah. interactions uh, that, that, that that suggests. I, I, I get that. I do think, though, it, it does make sense from, like, like, if you want to give, like, a charitable, you know, like, as the fight progresses, I figure out, like, you know how uh, approximately how 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 easy it is to hit this monster. I can make, you know, I can make that decision informed about whether or not I want to power attack or not, um, type of deal, or whether I can afford to like you know fight defensively and take the hit to my to hit, as it were. Um, but you're you're right. It it does kind of like I I think that that's kind of like I I don't think that kind of like tr like if there was a way to obscure that, um. I guess you could roll the attack rolls in secret. Um, I wonder. I actually wonder how that would go. Now, uh, now that I say something, I have actually done in the past uh, is roll. I cr I gave uh, I gave a monster an ability um, that was actually kind of neat, which was every time it's subject to an attack, it rolls a d6 and adds that to its AC, um, so that its AC was constantly fluctuating. Um, but. Uh, I, you, know, I, you could maybe make that kind of thing baseline uh, or make it on a certain... Th this was for a specific creature that was kind of like a displacer beast, right? Where um, it was doing that thing where... It was almost like mirror image a little bit where uh, you couldn't quite tell where it was specifically. And so sometimes you would swing, but you would be like too... Uh, uh, you just... Yeah, like you would just be off, right? Um yeah, I think uh, I think that like you you could you could make the roll in secret, and that that would do most of it. Um, and I think there's like I've 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 already come up with like a couple like things in my head for like player feedback and whatnot that that you could measure. And I think that's an interesting podcast on it. So I do think there are ways to deal with that. But I also do think that we're running a little bit long on this segment. Um, so unless you had anything big you wanted to add about rude lords i think we should move on uh yeah no we should uh I, I i suppose we should uh move on well speaking of dungeons and dragons dungeons and dragons features heavily in uh stranger things in fact the 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 opening after the 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 opening after the cold opening um is a bunch of dudes playing D, &D. when i say dudes i mean children there are 
uh, for what are approximately like 13 year old boys, I think is what it's supposed to be about, right? I uh, man, really? I thought they were younger. I thought they were like nine or ten. Uh-huh. I, no I always have trouble remembering like how like I think they're like middle schoolers. Well, middle, right? Like that? That's right. Like they're, they're middle school students. Yes, I think they are middle school students. Right. I'm pretty sure. Well, man, uh, I you know what? I'm just gonna look this up. This is the power of the internet. How old are the kids in Stranger Things? Um, and right out the gate, one of the first things I want to say about them is uh, these child actors are fucking phenomenal like they are they, they convince they, they seem real they don't seem stilted like most kid actors are um i think that they are they're super well like super well acted which is just like a treat i don't know how how they did it whether they just found some insanely talented kids or like they shot it until they got it right but those kids are believable and real and and that is that is the i think that is the miracle of this show uh i also will confirm because this is the only age they have on the page uh that will byers is 12 years old so middle school is like right on the money i think all right um but yeah um yeah so one thing actually that was kind of funny to me is that like they, they opened into this game and that you know one of the one of the 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 kind of recurring themes is is the demigorgon who is um by the way speaking of which before i get too far into it spoilers for stranger things yeah, yeah. <laughs> um demigorgon kind of becomes a symbol for uh for the monster um and you know D becomes becomes a lot of the metaphors for um uh for a lot of the things that happen in out in the world um and uh one of the things that I that I took away from that first scene was like, man, I wish I like I wish one, my players were enthusiastic as those players were, and two, as a player I could be that too enthusiastic, and three, that I could GM well enough to get my players that excited while, you know, using like the the these flimsiest of mechanics, right? Like roll of like you know like you fireball and the fireball one shots demigorgon and like you know for a beef flash in my mind i was like that's not how it, and then i was like but this is amazing and so i i stopped myself before i fell too too far down the you know yeah i uh i i very uh um i very commonly forgive that kind of stuff right the D episode of of uh, community for example i think of it's, it's a masterpiece right it's a work of art even though at the end of the day that actually doesn't resemble D very much um, see the, the thing that bothered me a little i, I was actually going to make this comparison too is i think this is much better than that and i do like that episode but i think that i stuck more on the errors there because part of that was trying part of the humor they were supposed to be like you know about like how like 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 about the particulars of the system kind of being incongruous with like an actual fantastic adventure and I, I think that's where a lot of the humor is supposed to derive from so when they got things wrong it felt a little bit worse to me but here it's just about kids being excited so i thought it was easier to well, so i you know to be honest though i think the problem is that D D at at best is kind of just a metaphor in uh in stranger things right it plays into yeah. i mean they they only really play it at the very beginning at the very end and then they use D D terms in order to talk about things like character development character traits 
and, and kind of the like, right? Uh, the 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 plot of that community, those couple of community episodes, because there's multiple of them. Uh, the plot of those episodes is the gang sits down and plays a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and this is what happens, right? Um, and so uh, I I think. It deserves more leeway from, yeah, like, it doesn't really matter to me that Abed is rolling a d12 or whatever, um, and then later he has Pierce roll a d20 because it is, uh, it's focusing so much more on the game, and I actually, contrary to the fact that obviously we televise essentially our D&D games every week, I don't think it would be all that interesting to watch an episode of Community where they actually play D&D, like, by the book. Does oh, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, uh, absolutely. It's just... So, so like, just to, to kind of hone in on that, like, D12 thing a little bit. Like, I remember the first time I watched the episode, like, that was the thing that really caught me. And I guess it was because they, like, zoomed in real close on the D12 as part of, like, a transition to a commercial break. And it was, like... Like, it's okay for kind of brushing past it, especially when you're telling, like, an RP story... But, like, when you, like, zero in on this as being, like, the thing, when you get it wrong, I think it sticks out a little bit more. If that makes sense. Do you follow me? Uh, I mean, I, I don't remember the super specifics of it. I think the thing with the D12 is that the D12 might have been rolling on a table, which may have made it a little bit less egregious. Uh, but I don't I don't know. Uh, so, so, I don't so, remember the details offhand. So, so, so the, the, the detail, like, I'll, I'll just go over it real quick, is that... If he had, like, rolled a D12 and, like, went on to tell some piece of story, um, then I probably wouldn't have known. Even if I had noticed that, I wouldn't have cared. But, like, he, like, rolls a D12 and the camera focuses on it and then they cut to commercial. Because that, that's just, like, a transition that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And because there's, like, that focus of it being, like, like front and center of the shot um, as, like, the last thing before the commercial break and that's wrong, that, that bothered me a little bit more. Um but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I like your D and D comes up. Have you ever seen the uh, the Futurama episode? Uh, I don't uh, think so. She's I can't remember what it's called. Bender's Game. Uh, it's actually not an episode. It's one. Of, so Futurama got canceled, but they got four feature length direct to DVD movies that were effectively um, kind of another season, and then that got it renewed back on Comedy Central. So if you actually watch Futurama end to end, you watch, you know, four episodes or four seasons of regular episodes, four of these movies back to back, and then more seasons of, of episodes in kind of the same um you know in kind of the same way. Um and one of those movies is is entirely related to D&D and a big pl- the MacGuffin in those movies is that you know a random piece of like space whatever got created in the form of a D12 um and uh Qbert Farnsworth and uh Hermes comrade's son whatever his name is um you know they write numbers on it and they're using this D12 that's incredibly important right like it's you know this super important crystal or whatever they're just using it as as a D12 um and it has, uh, it, you know, it, anyway, anyway the, the point is, right, I think uh, I think that kind of stuff is forgivable in general. Um, and I also think that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it, it's not going to get a, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy enough to see D&D and the spirit of it is so intact that the specifics of it not being intact is fine. Sure, sure. 
But anyway, uh, something I want to say about Stranger Things and its use of Dungeons & Dragons is uh, I think that part of what made that sh- what, what made the show very good um, and the D&D and the D&D metaphor is really key here was a lot of it was um, p- p- characters making plans, right? And they're just kind of planning out what they're going to do and then executing on that plan. Um, and this is a, you know, it's funny because this is a form of storytelling that I also just mes- mes- mentioned last week when we were talking about Star Trek Beyond. The same thing happened uh, in Star Trek Beyond where they made a plan and then they tried to execute the plan, but stuff goes wrong and they have to adapt on the fly. And that's exactly what happens in like six of the eight episodes of Stranger Things, which I thought was really cool and really interesting um especially because it really lends itself to horror because the plan sets you up for a certain subset of expectations but then the 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 show engenders so much mystery in you that when those plans don't go uh uh, according to plan i guess man i'm using plans so much um it it creates a lot of drama um, which I think is just, I think that's super freaking great. I agree. Um, I thought, I thought that the, I thought the show was, was not, not only like, you know, w- well paced and kind of like, but it also had like, just enough, like, like you know, th- this movie, part of what makes this movie great is kind of like 80s, the TV, 80s movies, the TV show. And and part of part of the thing that I think that I think works so well for it is like it like wraps itself around enough tropes like it plays enough tr- tropes straight that it works and it subverts enough tropes that it also works really well. It, 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 it somehow it hit the perfect blend of like well this this was a you know th- this was like a straight playing of the way this thing works and like this was a this was a a real a real difference from what you would you know if if this was like an uh, an old movie um you know this this would play out differently that it it just gels so so well um and i i think i think another part of like you know one of the best best examples of this is um is is kind of the the the, the synthy soundtrack right like it sounds so 80s but if you go back and look at it nobody actually really used any of that in, in like actual eighties movies, but it fits so perfectly and it works. It works great. I, I don't, I don't know. I just can't like, um, I don't know if you know anything about, about the filming of this buddy, but, uh, they, um, this is not really filming, but like they, they added like a, a filter, um, and, and a little bit of grain to make it look like it was in the eighties, but they still, you know, obviously they didn't have to like downscale the resolution to, to get like a the fuzzy grainy effect, but I thought it, it also looked perfect too. It just, I, I don't know. This is like kind of like the perfect homage. Um, like the, the most perfect homage that I, that I think I've ever seen. It's weird. Uh, because I think the eighties kind of does loom large, uh, in our like cultural. So I think, so uh, if if we if we zoom out a lot right 
and I'm just kind of taking a snapshot of like American pop culture. I think a lot of American pop culture is built on nostalgia, right? Um, sure. That's that's a pretty you know undisputed thing. Everything's a remake, a relaunch, a reboot, uh, uh, you know, um, all of that kind of stuff. And um, but I think when you zoom in just a little bit, I think it's specifically a lot of it is nostalgia for the '80s, right? And I think there are a lot of different pieces for, of this, right? I think Nintendo fanboys, right, are sitting in that kind of thing because the kind of the the great heyday of um, kind of. Uh, Super Mario, right? Those first Zelda games, right? These are all like 80... These are these are considered 80s games, right? Even the first ones that came out, right? Super Mario Brothers 3, for instance, is an early 90s game technically, but it doesn't actually feel like a 90s game when you think about it because a 90s game feels th 3D and like, like po polygonal, I guess, polygonal. Um, you know, Super Mario 64, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Goldeneye, these are 90s games, right? Um, but, like, Super Mario and, um, Super Mario and Link, like, those are kind of, like, quote-unquote 80s games. Um, and, and I think that this show is capitalizing on that nostalgia in order to create a, in order to, like, kind of, um, not even create a world, but like adopt a world, right? It, it forces it forces the viewer to kind of adopt this world and it doesn't have to do very much world building in order to get you into it, right? We've all seen E.T., we understand E.T., so the idea of, you know, a vaguely sinister government organization uh, coming for, right, a, you know, like, the beloved friend of these children is, like, that's the plot of E.T., right? Whether or not Eleven is an alien or whether or not uh, she sure. is a whatever is kind of is kind of details, right? Um, and so I think, I think it is wearing those clothes but telling a very modern story, right? This is very much a TV show. You couldn't have this TV show in the 80s, right? You don't even really have these movies in the 80s when you think about it, right? It much more resembles the kind of ensemble-driven, like, you know, these AMC shows, stuff, the, the, the Wire and, like, The Sopranos kind of kicked this off, but, right, uh, but you get into things like Mad Men, right, like, Community, like, Parks and Rec, where you create a whole big cast of a bunch of interesting characters, and they're, you know, they have A plots, B plots, C plots, D plots, um, and you're, you're invested enough in those characters that you can follow that, and this is exactly what Stranger Things is doing, right, we have Renona Ryder, we have, um, Jonathan, the older brother, we have Nancy, we have the sheriff, we have the kids, right? Everybody's bouncing off one another and their plot lines kind of like weave into one another and weave out of one another. Um, and that's very, that, that kind of structure, um, that kind of plotting is the most modern you can get, uh, which I think is kind of the unsung hero of, of what's going on uh, when it comes to Stranger Things. Yeah, I, I, I think part of, part of that too is that like, like, the, the, like you you said something along the lines you couldn't have this this movie in in or like you couldn't have a movie like this in the eighties, but I think like you could take any single plot line out of this show and make it into a movie in the eighties, right? Like definitely, yeah. No, I I think that's certainly true. Right, like, like like the kids' adventures are like straight up like a Goonies or a Stand by Me, um, with like obvious or like like you said E. T. kind of the blend there and like. You know the the teenager plot line is like uh, is like a this, this almost straight up a slasher fic, um, and the the adult plot line kind of also invokes things like uh, like 
X Files almost. You know, honestly, um, I have to say that uh, the adult plotline to me ran. My my favorite Steven Spielberg movie is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that's exactly what this was. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, to me, uh, not so much. Well, a little bit. You know, honestly, the the mom and the sheriff kind of both have echoes of this uh, in their own way, right? But that kind of that like you know someone who's super you know they, this adult who's super driven and is trying to find out the answers. Uh, and is being kind of like, I mean, this is also an X-Files thing too. Uh, that's definitely there. Um, but that was the, that was the thing that it was kind of, uh, drawing upon, uh, upon for me. But the, yeah, anyway, my point is, is, you know, I think you definitely could kind of like pull out one of these plot lines and make a, and like make a movie out of it. Uh, but the way that modern, you know, this is really just how modern, you know, like TV is run a lot of the time is you take a bunch of movie plots and you weave them over one another um, in order to make your seasonal television. Plot, right, right, right. right. Um, and I think that's, that, that is the, that is the super modern thing about it. Um, I see people complain about this, to be honest. I see a lot of people complain about it. They're like, Oh, you know, these, you know, uh, that these Netflix shows are just a bunch of movies sp- hit you know kind of smushed together right the other version by the way is where you have three episode arcs that are basically movies this is like daredevil is like this um where each you know each season of daredevil is kind of cut into like quarterly chunks right which are really just four long you know like long stories um interspersed with one another but those first three episodes tells a discrete story and then the next three episodes tells a discrete story and then the next three episodes tells a discrete story uh rather than having individual episodes themselves tell you know discrete stories um i have to say that i think um i think the way that they they did uh the kind of uh supernaturally elements uh in this really sold me i think you could have lost me a lot if the demogorgon looked bad or if um uh, uh if that like kind of the alter alternate dimension didn't look good right there's a lot there's a lot to it that i think um the kinds of choices they made in creature design in production design even in plot points right little things like him being able to turn on those lights i thought that was a fucking genius plot point um that stuff to me is where they also get a lot of mileage uh i think out of the show uh yeah i uh, th- that that makes I, I definitely agree with you on especially on like especially the aesthetic of of the uh the, you know the upside down the veil of shadows whatever the hell you want to call it um i it wasn't a huge fan of the creature design um i think actually uh there, there's this kind of rule that like as soon as you see the monster in a monster movie it's infinitely less scary than before you see it because like when you can't see it it's kind of like the worst thing you can imagine whereas once you give it form it, it kind of loses some of that and i didn't holy shit i want to put a pin in this i have to talk about this next week at horror adventures okay keep going um, <laughs> i didn't think this monster was that great i think they did a good enough job for it for the amount that they showed it but i that like I, I just didn't think, I w- I wasn't a huge fan of 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 the monster itself. Once we like, got a good look at it. Interesting. So the thing I liked about the monster is um is also kind of a storytelling thing, which is like, at first the monster is the slasher, right? 
Uh, it, you know, it's kind of the serial killer of, and so it has to be mysterious. You can't quite see it. You have to be wondering about what it can do, um, and how it does work. Guys, man, I, I, I'll mention something at the end of this. Um, but I think when kind of the mid, you know, the, like the midpoint transition, when you get a good sense of, okay, this is what the monster is. This is how it works. Right. Um, and it becomes something that is it, – it's not it's, – it's no longer like, quote-unquote, something to be feared but something to be conquered, right? Um, and this first happens about halfway through with the kids, right? The kids are the first one to figure out that, okay, we need to figure out how to defeat the monster, right? This is basically when they name it, the Demogorgon or whatever it is. Um, but then really expanded upon when the teenagers like set the whole trap, right? At that point, the monster has to be a discernible figure that we know of. Right. And that we know about, because at that point, it's a little bit more of like almost um, at that point, it's a little bit more of like an action movie uh, in the in the sense of like we have to understand the threat so that when they're when they're working to defeat it, that that makes sense, I guess. Um, but the beginning half has to be mysterious because it's a horror movie, if that makes sense. And I think that they handled that transition really well, which is how they kind of sold me on the monster. Okay, I I I think that's fair. Um, I I I, 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 I like I I still I still don't like, like I, I don't. How do I want to put this? I don't dislike what you're saying, and I don't dislike the idea there. I just kind of thought like the weird like the 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 face opening kind of uh, monster just didn't strike me as particularly inventive or like crazy or anything it's just kind of like a weird humanoid with an op like it, it did fair it, enough like yeah I, I see what you're getting at I, I just didn't like the particular design I, I agree I, like i agree with your theory i just i just don't i don't know I, part of that too is obviously I, I think he's you know you only have so much of a budget for this but i i thought it was uh i don't know um yeah <sighs> I mean, talking about classic 80s movies that this thing is ripping off, have you ever seen John Carpenter's The Thing? No, I haven't. Oh, man, it's super famous. It is super good. Um, and the uh, and this monster, I think, echoes kind of a lot of that. Especially, I mean, so, um, John Carpenter's The Thing is basically the story of, like, there's this Alaskan, right? There's this American-Alaskan station, right? Or not Alaskan, uh, Antarctic, like, it's like a, a station in... Antarctica or whatever. Um, and, uh, the movie opens with a helicopter firing at like a dog. Uh, I'm man. I mean, Oh, I have seen it. this movie. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then the dog, and then, but the dog is, is a shape shifting. Right. Thing, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Shape, right. So I think that is a lot of what they're kind of borrowing, especially, I really felt this when we, when they were, you know, um, doing anything with kind of the breach between dimensions, right? How kind of gross that is. I think a lot of that is, um, you know, a lot of that is obviously practical, right? Like, and you're seeing these actors as they're like picking up this, just like, oh, like this disgusting thing. And I think that kind of gross out horrorness that like, um, almost body horror to it. Yeah. It also kind of makes the monster work for me. Okay. If I the, if the other, if the alternate dimension had just been like a generic CGI shadow dimension, I don't think that monster would have sold, uh, would have, would have sold me on that. But because the, the, the aesthetic of that other dimension was just so, 
Um, you know, little things, right? Like the slug that claw that crawls out of Barb's mouth, right? Um, uh, and then, oh my God, fucking at the very end, right? Like, yeah, uh, out of out of Will's mouth, them having to like pull the whole tentacle, right? Uh, I all, all of that stuff, all of that stuff really worked for me. And the I guess the monster kind of gets just lumped into that because I think you're right. When I think about it from like a purely design standpoint, it is a little bit plain, I guess, sort sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Part of me also kind of thinks that this is just because I'm a D and D player, and like you know, if there's some horrific monster design, Pathfinder D and D, they've done it right. You know, like I've yes, seen, sir. I've seen that thing in a monster manual somewhere, right? Uh, so I guess I'm a little bit like numb to to that kind of stuff, sort of. I think that's fair. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, speaking of of Barb, is that. Um, in addition to the I, when I thought all the characters were really good is I thought all of like the side characters for like, you know, like all the little characters were, were so well done that it really kind of like brought a lot to the show. Like Barb, Barb is in the show for like maybe a grand total of 10 minutes. Um, but like, you know exactly who she is and you feel really bad for her. And, like, the, 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 her whole, like, storyline, even though she's dead by the third episode, and pretty conclusively dead by the third episode, you still kind of, like, you know, they suggest, well, maybe she's still alive, and you kind of hope that she's alive. And, like, it, it, it's so well done. And, like, the science teacher, right? Like, you know, this is this nerdy dude who loves to teach science. And then, like, it, it, like I, I think my favorite moment was him was when, like, I think it's at the funeral, they go over to him and they ask him about like parallel dimension theory. And they say like, like something about the veil of shadows. And he's like, Oh yeah, the veil of shadows. Right. Like it's like, you know, cause he knows what they're talking about. Cause he's a giant nerd too. Like I thought that was perfect. And I think my absolute perf, my absolute favorite was, was the dad in, uh, of, of the, uh, of, of Mike's family. Um, you know, the, the kind of like main family, like, you know, this kind of clueless, bumbling dude that's like, you know, well, well, what I do when, like, when he gets in trouble with the mom or, like, uh, you know, you know like, uh, sh- should I go, should I go talk to him when, when Will Byers is, uh, or when they have Will's funeral? Um, and the mom is like, no, I, I think, uh, I think he'll come to us. And that's just like, okay, I'm off the hook. Like, you know, he didn't say that, but like, you, you kind of, like, he, like, they they characterize these, these these such minor characters so well that it just work like it works to kind of build that world so well like like um like for for characters in the movie for like fifteen seconds the mom of the bully who's just this like hyper bitch that you you know you instantly recognize as being like that person this, this is what I, yeah that's definitely what I mean about like the world like adopting the world I mean okay so uh to go back a second last week in Hell's Rebels we had this thing where you know, Gonder goes to Alaric's dreams, right? And he describes this thing of where, like, his soul is, a, like, a cup of water and it gets poured into the plane of dreams, which is the ocean, right? And the line for where the ocean begins and he ends gets really blurry and he's losing pieces of himself. But the reason he can go talk to Alaric, right, is because Alaric has memories of what Gondor was like in life so he can just go into Alaric's dream and wear those memories like a like clothing that's exactly what I think this this is doing right it's showing us effectively archetypes right archetypes that we know that we have 
Uh, we, some of them we've seen in other in other shows, right? Some of them, you know, I I thought the um, the generic bullying of Steve and uh, and I guess Carol might be like one of her name, like and you know, the, like Steve and his friends of Jonathan in the very beginning is super. I I've seen that so many times, right? In so many TV shows, and that whole you know that whole scene only lasts for like three or four minutes, but it immediately characterizes everyone, right? Um, from John, from Jonathan to Nancy to Steve, right? Um. And it's so, and what it's doing is it's wearing my, you know, it is wearing my nostalgia. It is wearing my understanding of pop culture as clothing in order to establish these characters in the middle of, kind of like in the middle of the action. And I think that this is a good thing. I think this happens a lot, right? I think that this is uh, something that happens in kind of TV, movies, video games all, all the time, right? Um, but the interesting thing to me is that a lot of the time they took a kind of unassuming archetype and they really kind of fleshed it out and made these archetypes into characters in a lot of ways, right? Um, I think Barb's refusal to leave the party um, in the second episode was great. You know, like, it was great, right? Like, Barb is such, like, such a fucking square, such a downer, right? Like, and we've all seen Barb in, like, you know, 16 Candles or Pretty in Pink or whatever, you know, like, whatever these movies kind of are. And she's supposed to leave that party in a huff, right? She's supposed to be like, you're not the person that I was friends with or whatever. But that's not what she does, right? Like, she literally gets told to go home by her best friend and she doesn't go home. She goes and she sits on the diving board with her shoes off and just kind of, like, diddles her toes into the water. And that's, like, that's a very heartfelt moment. That's a real character. A real character with a real psyche made that decision because she does care about her friend and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to be left out, right? And she doesn't want to leave without her friend. There's a lot of stuff going on in that moment. Uh, the same thing happens with Steve, right? Steve getting told to fuck off by Nancy is the, the Steve in my mind, right? The Steve that is wearing the kind of suit is supposed to just kind of disappear forever or maybe he leaves and he gets killed by the monster in order to establish the stakes of the monster but no that's not this steve right this steve is very conflicted because he legitimately does have feelings about nancy he's not just using her for her body kind of thing and i think that stuff like that stuff is super interesting yeah, actually, so so funny little thing about about that example. I do agree, that's brilliant. But that that example actually, apparently, he was supposed to like exit as the villain, and they were going to do the typical like you know ends up with the nerd type thing. But mm -hmm. the actor sold them so much on like on the character that they 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 kept him on. Um, I'm so glad they did that yeah. because that was so. If they had if they had not done that, it would have been so much worse. <laughs> like I, you know, I like agree. man, that would have been bad. I think, uh, I think having a very, uh, a very kind of conflicted relationship between Nancy and Steve and Jonathan, um, where they do have to work together because the threat is that dangerous, but they also can't because they, they, you know, there's this kind of like weird infighting. It creates the perfect kind of like panic that you need to sell me on to them 
like not being good enough in order to tackle this monster properly, right? This kind of this kind of thing bugs me in a lot of these kinds of movies where like, you know, the third act rolls around and you know the heroes have to defeat the monster and so instantly all of their infighting, all of their personality quirks and differences and all that stuff kind of disappears so that they can band together and execute the and like expertly execute the monster kind of thing this is the opposite thing happened right they had an incredibly hard time working together and all of these emotions that are like bouncing between them makes that whole fight very frantic and panicky even though they're very successful right like the the whole thing goes off basically without a hitch right they get almost all of their uh almost all of their shit uh done but um actually i think that's one of my favorite scenes because like still like you know uh, uh, Nancy and and what what's uh, John is is that the older brother's name? Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, Jonathan. Kind of like have this plan all set up and they're ready and they, they kind of go they go through like the setup montage too, right? Like everything's ready and then Steve shows up and like Steve just kind of gets thrown into the middle of it and just watching him like walk like it's like what the fuck and then like you know grabs the bit you know like comes back is is the big damn hero and they're like this way it's like jump and he looks and he sees the bear jump on the floor he's like what the fuck and he jumps over it and just like you know like this hasty but like great execution just like like if it, it felt so like so perfect right like you know like you know like, like just kind of like the escalation of like what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck right it was it was it was it was it was great oh man i, I need to actually go watch this again i i ugh. Um, I think, uh, uh, I think the part of that that really sold me is in the prep montage, they have a couple of shots where Jonathan is hammering the nails into the baseball bat, right? And then it ends with like this, you know, this shot, right? And this is just kind of like cinematography stuff, right? Looking up, you know, it's, it's an up angle of him and he's walking away almost like a badass. Like it's a very heroic kind of thing. He's walking out with his, like this bat with these nails is his weapon, right? And then the first thing Steve does is he gets the baseball bat and starts wailing on the monster. And I was like, oh, that's Jonathan's, right? Yeah, like Jonathan's. Yeah, yeah. Is supposed to do that um but i think it all you know it all it all worked out yeah um another moment i wanted to talk about that that was just like kind of perfect in these kind of like uh kind of trope trope uh trope subverting moments is um when when uh so so the, the chief the police chief like starts out and you think he's gonna be like this this you know like the guy who's like oh there's no such thing as ghosts type of guy that like just ends up getting in the way all the time He's like, oh, you can't be trespassing around here type guy. But mm. And then he starts to get super in. And then, like, when he he breaks through the compound and they put him in his house and they think that he and, you know, and, you know, they try to make him think it's a dream. He starts tearing his, his house apart to look for a bug. Like in most shows, you the character wouldn't find anything. Right. Like that'd be like you missed the bug or like they, it wouldn't be there for whatever. And then be like. Holy shit! Did this all really just happen in my mind? But you know, he 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 finds the bug, and he's just so fucking in there, right? Like he's like, no, 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 like this this shit's fucking real, you know? Mm -hmm. We're gonna fucking do like, oh, it's just so. Uh, and 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 his other thing I wanted to talk about with him in particular was, um, his daughter's death, right? Like when when they initially allude to it, like at least I got the feeling that it was gonna be like you know like. You know, so he was a cop in the big city, and then some gangbanger killed his kid because he put him behind bars. And no, it's just this kind of very touching story about 
you know, his his kid dying dying of natural causes. Um, but that's like you know you don't you don't need to be like the victim of some horrible crime to want to save somebody else's kid. You know, save another kid. You just you know you understand that pain even when you know it's it's you know a terrible terribly different circumstance with like kidnapping and and otherworldly forces like you know that that pain is is universal regardless of of the circumstances of it happening and i i thought that was really um i thought that was really cool i also thought it was really sweet i thought it was really well shot kind of the interspersing of like his daughter dying and them finding will i think was 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 cinematographied to because like i can't use words well um I thought I thought that was put together very very well. I think the word you're looking for is cinematographically. Cinemagra- cinematographically. C- cinematic cinematographically, right? Cinematographically. Okay. Is the adverb. Okay. Right? If you want to say that that's cinematographically interesting. Okay. Is what it sounds like it. Um, I, I ironically I actually um, so that worked for me, but for completely dumb unique reasons. I had misheard a line earlier where I thought he, there's a point when he's like saying like the last murder in this town was in the forties and the last, um, you know, like the last suicide was like 1967 or something like that. And I had kind of misheard a, a collection of lines that made me think that the suicide was specifically his, it, it, it's like, it was like the perfect storm, right? Like I think he mentions that it was like X number of years ago. And then, they mention this the they mention the uh uh age of of the daughter you know like all, all of these things kind of went, get, went together that i thought i was being super clever and figuring out this foreshadowing of oh his daughter is the one that committed suicide i got it i i got it tv show but really i was just i was just <laughs> like i was just like finding the intersection in just completely random things right and so uh and so i was like almost confused at the end but it was like weirdly touching and i was kind of blindsided by it because i was so thoroughly expecting something different that like it just really worked for me but ironically i actually kind of hated the cinem- uh, the cinematography of it what i think what i would have done um is i think i would have opened with basically the full supercut of what ends up being interspersed in, right? They kind of do A, B, A, B, A, B slices right. of like, here's me caring about my daughter, here's black, and then they come back to it every once in a while. I think I would have just opened with like a five to 10 minute sequence recounting the whole thing, right? Because then I think, because to me personally, that would have fit, fit a little bit better. I think it kind of wrecks the drama a little bit to be kind of cutting away from it the way that they were. Uh, not, it, you know... This is like, this is like an A minus A A thing to me, right? Very, very little would be lost or gained, but it's just like my my own like kind of preference as you describe it back to me, uh, kind of thing. I definitely, you know, I, I have to say I was very much um, I was super with it, but I did kind of um, I fell back a bit, you know. But maybe if I had said that this was. Uh, you know, if this was, you know, a 98, I might, I might pull back to, I'm about like a 95 right now. I think it's, I think it's definitely very good, but in, in retrospect, um, I think that, uh, I think that more people needed to die in order to sell it a little bit more. Um, 
And uh, and I, I think some of the easy answers came a little too quickly. Um, you spend enough time with Renown Ryder that she's that like everyone thinks she's crazy kind of thing. Um, but she doesn't spend enough time with that like moment of what if I am crazy? I think that kind of should have lasted a little bit longer. Um, before it was kind of revealed through dramatic irony to the audience uh, that, no, of course she's not crazy, right? Of course she's telling the truth, if that makes sense. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think think that would have been hard to do, though, because, like, the entire time you're seeing things that are happening that indicate that she's not, in fact, crazy. Like, you see the lights happening, right? Like... Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. um, I, I just think it's... Like, I, I'm, I'm not sure, like, because I think the audience always knows that she's not crazy. Like, like it, I, and I think peeling that back would have been getting rid of a lot of other things that are good. Like, like the lights thing and like the uh, kind of like the, the scenes with the with the telephone and, and the shocks, like, which, which I thought was 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 really cool. Um, ultimately, I, I will say that I was kind of um, disappointed um, a little bit because like, I'm not disappointed, but like uh, the only thing that really disappointed me was like, like Will shows this very like kind of precise control of how the lights light up and like, he's able to talk to the phone a little bit before it shorts out, but they, they don't really explain how that works. Like they kind of show like the, like the, the chief and the mother walking through the else and kind of accidentally lighting through or the upside down accidentally lighting things up. But like, it's all it's weird because like it doesn't like show how Will had so much control over it and that kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, ultimately, I'm able to kind of just be like, well, whatever. I'm sure it's it, it it'll be like, you know, I I'm sure that that detail could be explained at some point and they just didn't have enough time or whatever. But it did kind of it kind of bothered me that they tried to explain it but they did it in such an unsatisfactory way. Um, but that was the only thing that really stuck out at me as being like, like like. I don't know. That's the only thing that really bothered me, uh, I would say, in, in kind of that way that I am. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I get. I, I, I'm a little bit with you on that. Uh, I thought. I thought it's a. It's a little bit one of those things where the upside was so huge that I kind of just can't be fucked about the downside to it. Almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I thought it was such a clever thing. It was so smart. It was so cool. Um, that, yeah, this is, um, so you know the movie Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, I have not seen it yet, but it is. So that, so that movie, right, it's about, uh, it's about Tom Cruise and he is looping the same day, right, in, in his own life. But each time he loops, he gets better at it because he's been through it however many times. The movie's really good, right? Uh, randomly, Doug uh, Lyman Lehman uh, just dropped the Gambit movie to direct Justice League Dark today. That dropped anyway. Um, but uh, the in Edge of Tomorrow, the logic of that doesn't really make a ton of sense. The way that they explain it, it's a little bit hand wave. It's a little bit explained, um, kind of how the whole process of it works, and they they kind of cheat out on the premise at the end anyway. Um, but that that stuff that 
logic stuff doesn't really bother me because the move it's so cool right that that the the upside of how cool it is just you know yeah it doesn't bother it just doesn't bother me that this makes no sense and that if you think about it for a, you know for a minute or two it it, it demands you to see, think about all of these random questions see, kind of about how it would work see, see the only the only thing that kind of uh the only thing that bothers me about that answer is that like you could just hand wave it and not try and explain it and like i think that'd be mostly fine right like like groundhog day another looping movie right like the mechanic by which he is looping is never in any way shape or form explained like yeah. it just kind of happens um mm -hmm. and so you don't really question it it's the fact that they have this moment where like they're accidentally lighting up the lights that kind of bothers me if they just like ignored it then i think it would have been better but you know that, that's that's you know that, that's a little thing. I don't want to. I don't yeah, want to too yeah, much on I, it. I one hundred percent. I get what you're getting at. I totally think that it's like quote unquote a flub. But at the end of the day, uh, this is going to sound more judgmental, but I don't mean it in a judgmental way. Like this is nitpicky, right? Um, sure. No, I, I will. And, I will uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I will absolutely cop to that. I don't think you're always right when you call things nitpicky, but I'll, but I'll agree with that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Everything wrong with Batman versus Superman. Oh my god! No, we don't have to stop talking about something. Yes, I brought it up. I brought it up again. Oh. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. So easy. Anyway, um yeah, I definitely think uh, I definitely think there's 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 plenty of stuff to quote unquote nitpick. I think that, for instance, the kids being so on point with figuring out the creature kind of right off the bat at, uh, like, it's, it's like episode five. Um, I was really surprised that there wasn't kind of a double take where they had made some assumption that works against them in a catastrophic way. But it kind of does bug me a little bit. Um, this is one of those things that, like, drops it by, like, a point, if, if we're saying that it drops from a 98 to a 95 kind of thing. Uh, it does bug me a little bit that the kids were just... So they were right on the money the whole, you know, like the whole time. I really thought that, um, uh, I, I mean, maybe oh, it's see, a fake out almost. I, I thought that they were, I thought that they were setting it up for, um, that not to work out. This is exactly what happened, by the way, when they're like, oh, we have to, the teens are like, oh, we have to fight the monsters. Go buy this, you know, like bear trap. Well, then they get arrested. And then, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of like, and then problems kind of happen. Um, whereas for the kids, I felt like the, it was, it was set up like there was going to be up like that they that they were making a poor assumption that there was something that they weren't considering or whatever but they never really they, that never really materialized see, which bugged me see i i i kind of felt it in the opposite way like i i thought that like essentially they made the kids genre savvy like everybody else is kind of like this, this isn't really happening is it and they're like oh this is just like the demigorgon in the monster manual right you know honestly that's the exact you know, I, th that's totally in line with what i'm uh um, that's totally in line with what I, with what I think, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I agree with that just as much. Yeah. But you know, I, I definitely, I definitely see your point. Like these, these, these kids are, are, you know, hyper competent kids in, in many ways. Um, and I, and just to kind of, to, to, to hit there for a moment, right? Like not only are these child actors good, but they also have like a real storyline. They have like real conflict. Like, you know, the, it's in some ways a little bit like, a little bit cliche with like, you know, you only like the girl and I'm losing my best friend. And, um, but like that, that storyline, the story beat is, is acted really well. It feels really genuine. 
um, the toothless kid who I can never remember the name of, um, like, this is kind of like, you're both being shitheads thing, like, perfectly. Oh, I, I thought, I thought that kid was great, and I thought the, the, so, the thing that's great about the toothless kid, and this is like, a, you know, this is like one of those weird things that I think of because I pay a lot of attention to this kind of stuff, um, but, uh, the, the great thing about the toothless kid is when they wrote that script, right? When they wrote that script for that episode where they have the bullies making fun of everyone, um, they didn't know that they were going to cast a kid that had that lisp thing, right? And so if this was a worse TV show, they would have kept in the kind of generic insults that would, you know, that would be, oh, like nerd, loser, playing D&D, right? Like these are things that you can build in a script regardless of actor, right? But I like that the the way that these bullies make fun of this kid with this obvious super obvious lisp is to attack his lisp that was probably like the most genuine thing about all of the kind of like fake ish bullying stuff that i've seen i've never i have never seen that kind of overt bullying in my life i kind of don't think that it exists in in a weird way i think that um uh, bullying I, I, I think I, bullying is a little bit more sinister and insidious of a thing uh, that that uh, that, o- that overt bullying exists in real life i, I can tell you firsthand <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it maybe maybe it's just because like, it, it, bullying is so obvious, is so commonly kind of like troped up that way, yeah. right? Uh, that that it kind of bugs me a little bit. But what I loved about that version of it is that felt real, right? This isn't that, that's this isn't a scripted moment of the bullies pick on the protagonists in order to give you pathos for the protagonists, right? This is these kids who just like are douchebag kids for no reason pick on this other kid because he has this very obvious lisp and they are brutal about it yeah right? that felt very real to me yeah no and and, and so, something i i heard somewhere else too is that like uh, th- th- uh about about this in particular um is you know and like you know wh- when the heroes kind of get their moment where like they make the bu- where where l makes the the bully piss his pants um like like, you know, and then the hero walks away, right? But then, like, that's not the end of it, right? Like, the fucking bully comes after him with a goddamn knife because he's a little fucking psycho. Um, and, like, I thought that was also, like, you know, also kind of, like, great and kind of like a, you know, you know, like, you know, it's one of those things where, like, after a lot of movies, you sit down and you say, you know, like, but, you know, the next day must have actually been terrible for them because, you know, that kid didn't die or anything, right? Like... You know, that, yeah. that kid's still going to be there. And they show, like, yeah, that kid was still there, and that kid was fucking mad. Um, and, you know, I, I, I thought that was I thought that was really cool. Um, even though she does end up, Elle ends up beating him up again, I still think, like, you know, I, I, I still think it worked really well. Um, I don't know. Although I did think that moment was a little cheesy, where he jumped off the ravine and she caught him. I, I thought that was just a little little too much for my taste. I also thought that it was one of the worst looking kind of effects of the entire series. Um, I don't know how you could have done it better, but it, it just looked really fake to me. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's one of the, yeah, I, I, I get it. It didn't look great. I thought a couple of those also didn't look great. Um, like um, there's the the bit where... Uh, um, they go into like the rift or whatever, and then the rift heals itself behind them like immediately. That was just like, man, that was so obviously CG. Yeah, I like I I noticed it, like I got it. Um, but 
but sometimes it's spot on, right? Like, um, like the, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Like the one that, that pops to mind is kind of like, even though like, it, like when L first encounters the monster, uh, first of all, I think that whole scene is fucking brilliant. Um, like in the darkness, her walking along and like running into the Russian dude, but then like seeing the creature, even though the creature is kind of like plainly rendered there, like I think it it still works. I don't think it's it's great, and I think that they stuck with kind of like I think that's part of why it's a humanoid monster is because I think we're pretty good at rendering that, and like any CGI kind of like badness kind of just contributes to the alienness rather than detracting from the realness. Um, but I think it worked there pretty well. Um, yeah, definitely. I also think that uh, some of the other CGI was great, like the the creature coming out of the wall. Oh yeah, that was um, was such a great effect. I don't know who thought of that, but that person deserves a fucking raise. Yeah. Like, I was such a great way to represent, uh, you know, like what what you needed to right. And I think that um, I think that when you do see him, it's it's a process, right? That works really well because you know at first it's just the lights flickering and you don't see what happens to will but he's just immediately gone and it's like how the fuck did that happen kind of thing and then you see this thing in the wall and then you see the thing in the wall again and then you see the thing in the wall but this time it's actually physically crawling out of the wall and you have a good look at it as it does that this is this is also part of what i meant about the progression from it being like a horror monster to it being like an action monster where yeah. we have to get more and more familiar with it uh, in order for like the the action payoff of them defeating the monster to feel good, um, I think, and it they they get there. Yeah, um, yeah, you get your get you get your almost literal David versus Goliath moment with with like the you know that the fucking kid with balls of steel is like I'm gonna fucking shoot this stone at this goddamn monster, and somehow we think this is gonna work. Yeah, uh, for real. Um, um, yeah. Oh man. Oh, there's, uh, it's so good. Um, is, uh, so are you looking forward to, uh, to the second season? So I have a lot of questions about the second season. Part of me. So, okay. From a industry standpoint, like from a, like a wider standpoint, I don't think horror television shows work very well when you do multiple seasons. Um, because I think a lot of the time the mystery that you need coming to a story blank. American Horror Story is kind of the first one of these um, TV shows in the modern era to make this like be the case, but it also is for things like, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Right, as a horror television show, only works because the rules of the rules and the mystery and the horror, all of that stuff gets reset at the beginning of every episode. Right, if you tell that in a serial format, um, I think you do get to you lose a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of the the kind of import of what's of what's happening and what's going down. Um, and so the way that American Horror Story, the way that uh, you know, are like, are you afraid of the dark? Skirts this is their anthologies, right? right? Where the where you know the episode is one story and then it resets, or the season is one story and then it resets. And I kind of would like it if the same thing happened to Stranger Things, um, because I think that is just like better kind of management from a story perspective uh, of horror television shows, right? Uh, but at the same time. I think that this is the best one of those ever. And 
if there's anyone that could pull off long-form horror storytelling, um, it would probably be Stranger Things and these guys. I have a feeling that it's going to kind of skirt that, though, and get a little bit into kind of X-Files, Twin Peaks territory, where it isn't quite... It, it's a little bit more thrillery than it is horror-y. Right, I wouldn't really call the X Files horror, yeah. but it's simply like got that mystery element to it. Uh, um, I, I was gonna say with the X Files in particular, like each each episode, things kind of reset, right? Like each each uh, each. Yeah, definitely. But and uh, there are continuous elements like the Smoking Man and and you know um, and and whatnot. Um, but like some of that kind of lends to like it feeling a little cheesy, um, and just just uh, the the way the the the. Uh, I think the showrunners have said that it's going to keep following the kids, um, at least. Um, I think next season is going to be about a different adventure of the kids. Um, oh, did they say that? I think oh, so. Oh man, fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, and like, I, I think I think you're right though. I think it can work. Um, I think there's also still enough. Like, we also we we saw so little of like what the upside down is that I think there's enough there to kind of like mine a little bit i do think like you've got like another season of will byers being will buy you know like whatever came out of his mouth i think that's enough to kind of hold you but i think past that it's going to be really tough so what i would do if i was these guys honestly what i what i think would be super kind of great would be to center it almost around this lab Right. I think if, you know, like imagine imagine this show where the stinger isn't um, about the, uh, you know, where like the stinger isn't about the kid barfing up the slug, essentially, um, and is instead right like a different experiment you know, in the lab. What Right. But like it's like a board meeting. Right. right, right where right. that like that one guy is like, how many people did we lose? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh, man, like, you know, like, you know, this this is, you know, this is unfortunate, but you couldn't have done anything else. We're transferring you and all of your people to Project Omega immediately. Right. And then, you know, you kind of shut the doors on project alpha which is 11 right and open the doors on project omega which is some other you know like some other thing in the lab and you kind of um you kind of that's how you build the anthology out of it almost um i think that there's a lot that you can do from that per from like that kind of perspective i guess um but uh but, the, yeah, but, the, yeah, but then know. do you have like you have the, like you know you still have the same characters in like the town around it that it affects Honestly, um, I think uh, – see, I, I kind of wanted them to do a little bit of this. I thought people were going to get absorbed into um, the uh, – like into like the lab infrastructure and bureaucracy, right? I 1,000% I thought this was happening to the sheriff, right, where like you were going to, you know, like cut to that boardroom meeting and then, you know, at the very end of it, the guy, you know, gets up and he walks to the door and waiting at the door in a suit – um, is, I think his name is like Dave Harbour, right? Uh, is the sheriff who's there and, you know, he puts on like a pair of black sunglasses and walks out flanking, you know, flanking the other guy, right? You know, and I, I thought that kind of thing might happen. I think that, I, um, so, so. And that would be super cool if so. So, so getting into theory territory, I think that actually kind of did happen. Um, when he gets into the limousine after the hospital or like the, gets to the, 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 the car with like the random agents after the show. Mm -hmm. Or after after the hospital scene, that might like I don't. It's not the lab, obviously, but I think, I think like the the kind of thing there is he is like he's 
either he always was or he is becoming like an agent for some like like you know that is kind of assigned to like deal with the paranormal stuff that's kind of happening in this area like that's why he delivers egos to that box out in the woods um i think that like i think that might be what they're doing with it that he that he's kind of like assigned like he, he's like the agent for this kind of area with stuff um i think he might have always been that agent which would be really cool if they really revealed later that he was like you know a member of like some shadowy organization or maybe that wouldn't be cool it, it you know depends on how on how they play it out but um uh that's interesting i didn't quite think that he was very deep with, with the limo thing right like i i thought i thought that you know they obviously kind of have this over him i guess uh um, who's they but with the, the the lab people, right? They kind of have this over him that's, or whatever, but that he's relatively autonomous. Why do, why do you think that that's the lab people in the limousine? Oh wait, what do you who do you think is in the limousine? Some other government agency. All the lab people are dead. All of them? No, not all of them. The fucking the the one guy isn't dead. I don't think. Which which one? Uh, I'm pretty sure the head lab guy isn't dead. He gets he gets jumped up by the monster immediately after he crawls through the wall of the school. I, yeah, but it cuts away. I don't know. I don't know that, that 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 is dead. They show a lot of people straight up dying to the monster. If this guy was going to die to the monster, I think they would have shown that full, fully on on screen kind of thing. I I could be wrong. That's just like my uh, I I. It didn't occur to me that this might be. It didn't occur to me that what you're saying is the case. Uh, so I haven't quite like checked that. But my gut reaction was that that guy is is. You know, maybe probably still alive. Um, I I think if he is, it's it's gonna be like a big reveal. It's not. It's, it's like a secret. Like sure, sure. I mean, I, I definitely think that they're setting it up for that kind of reveal. No, like like I, know, I the, the impression I got is that the government is shutting down this lab because he was doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing, and that like they they're like some sort of like you know FBI NSA X Files type organization. That's you know yeah maybe maybe that is the case. I don't know. It, it's just it's just not how I read. Uh, that's not how I read what what had happened. Um. Yeah. Well. Well, hopefully we'll see next season. Yeah. Um, did you have anything else you no, wanted to say? Because we're, we're, we're running a hey, little long. No, I, no. Uh, tune in kind of next week for the second half of this discussion where we're going to – I very I very much plan on commenting a little bit about how horror storytelling works uh, in the context of uh, tabletop games uh, as viewed through the lens of horror adventures from Paizo. The newly released hardback. Yeah. Um. Until, uh, what else is happening this week? Um, right after this is Hell's Rebels, which this is definitely going up after. Um, <laughs> um, next week is Rune Lords and Hell's Rebels. Um, and then the next week, and yeah, we, sh we should be good for a while. I think we're, I think we're running full for a while. Um, I yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that's, uh. I think that's it. If you want to tell us what you thought of Stranger Things, you can email us at somederfsplaygames at gmail.com. Um, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. You can watch us on YouTube. You can watch us on Twitch. All the links will be in the description. Leave comments, subscribe, rate, do all this stuff. Um, did you have anything you wanted to plug, buddy? Uh, I do not have anything I want to specifically plug, but uh, thanks for tuning in, loyal listeners. Until next time, dear listeners. <laughs>